volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, listeners. This is Sal Sylvester from 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development consultancy based in Boulder, Colorado. I am so excited to get this podcast underway. As many of you know, if you've heard my introduction to this podcast, I started the podcast because I really wanted to better understand the implications of our changing workforce, our changing society, our changing world, and what that means for the future of leadership. As an executive coach and a leadership development trainer, I'm always intrigued and curious about what it takes to be successful in leadership. And I think our workplace and our world has changed more probably in the last 20 years than it has in the previous 200. What does that mean for the future of leadership? What will leaders need to know? What will they need to be? What will they need to do differently? And these are some of the topics that we're going to explore together. Our guest today is Sharon Rich. She runs a Los Angeles-based consulting firm called Think Business Growth. I love that name, Sharon. And I've known Sharon for years. She's an absolute thought leader in this space. She works with CEOs. She works with their senior leaders to create the strategy, the execution, the teamwork needed to take businesses to the next level. And as a speaker, you'll often hear Sharon talking about what leaders need to do to spot the hidden game that's being played both individually and collectively in their organizations without their knowledge and the implications of that hidden game. And she's written an international best-selling book called Your Hidden Game. Sharon comes to us with a lot of context and a lot of content around business today and what business leaders will need to do to be successful in the future. And what I love most about this interview with Sharon is her perspective on psychological safety in the workplace. And I think you're gonna be surprised about her perspective on accountability. Let's go to the interview with Sharon Rich now. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Sal. I'm super excited to be here. I'm very honored. Thank you. Thanks so much. You know, we've talked a little bit, but I want to just tell you and, and our listeners, I started this podcast because I really wanted to be in a place of inquiry around what the future of leadership means to us, to, to leaders, to young leaders, to experienced leaders. I think the world has changed more in the last 20 years than probably the previous 200. And I'm curious about, you know, what does that mean for leaders? What will they have to know? Who will they have to be? How will they have to show up? And I love having you on the show today because you've got such a great background, experience, work experience, leadership experience, as an executive coach in so many different roles and and now as the author of a international best-selling book congratulations by the way thank you <laughs> um, so i i think you're going to have a ton of great perspective that our listeners will, will re- really value so thanks for being here yeah my pleasure i think that the pace of change is accelerating mm. so much that it's so important what you're doing here 
Yeah. Oh, thank you. It is. It, it is. Um, we're just in this rapidly changing world more so than, than I think I've experienced in my career. And I'm just curious, what, what does that mean? What are the tried and true leadership traits that maybe will stand the test of time, but also what needs to change? How do leaders need to think differently? How do they have to be differently? So that's, that's part of what we're exploring here. Sharon, let's start with a little bit of your background, because I think our listeners will really benefit by getting some context um, about where you come from and maybe even how that shaped your philosophy around leadership. Well, I like to say that I fell up into leadership <laughs> a long time ago as a very young person. I fell into a situation where I suddenly owned my own advertising agency. It wasn't exactly a plan. It was just something that happened. And so I got that experience of being an entrepreneur. I was 24 years old. Um, I got the experience of having that fail <laughs> a few years later. Yeah. And then I got brought into a larger agency by a mentor of mine. And I was hired as a writer and in a few months was made associate creative director and then they fired him and, and suddenly with a couple of partners, I was running the entire creative function of mm -hmm. an agency that was a national agency with seven offices and we were the flagship. And that just led to leadership role after leadership role. And I think a lot of what has led me to doing what I do now is the lack of support or even any kind of conversation about what leadership meant or who I was as a leader mm. or what the opportunities and challenges and responsibilities of leadership were. I, I like to say it's pretty much, they, they said, here's your hose, there are the fires, <laughs> just... Right. Uh, go do it. And the reason I do what I do is to provide other leaders with the contextual conversations and thinking that will support them in not just doing what they do, but thinking about what they do and being intentional about mm -hmm. what they do mm. and oh, how they show up. Yeah, there's so many places to go there, um, that intentionality is so key. I mean, we just think that leaders have to be more and more on purpose in order to operate at a higher level, if you will. And, and it's interesting, I remember my experience where I started to really think about leadership in my career was on 9-11. And I was working for a large consulting company at a client site, so a services firm, maybe not unlike an agency, uh, and some of your experience. And I, I remember we were just trying to make sense of the day. And I got a call from my boss asking me pretty immediately, did we sell the next phase of work? And in the meantime, I was trying to track down family members in New York City. Wow. I had an uncle that worked in one of the buildings adjacent to the World Trade Center, which ended up collapsing. Grandparents on Mulberry Street, three or four or five blocks away, that were elderly. And so it, it, it just, I could see the disconnect in leadership and the impact that it had on people that just really stuck with me. Yeah. And I think also drove me to a very similar business that you're in too. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so important for leaders to recognize that they exist in the world, <laughs> exactly. right? That, yeah. and, and none of us do this alone and what we do doesn't only have impact on us or our small closed circle. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, um, we all have an impact. The question is how do, what impact do we want to have? What's the wake that we want to leave behind? What's the shadow that we have on others as we're leading them, as we're managing, motivating, delegating, directing all the things that we do as leaders, what's that impact that we have behind, that we leave behind? Totally. Mm. Yeah. Sharon, how have some of those experiences that you've had really shaped your philosophies? You mentioned failure. You, me- you've, you mentioned some of these different experiences that you've had um, as a leader, uh, both in leadership roles and, and being led. What are some of the, the philosophies of leadership that have really emerged for you? You know, Sal, I think that I have a a single word that kind of encompasses that, and that word is reality. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that everything that I've experienced up until now is, it's all about being real yeah. and being grounded in the truth of what's happening and in the bigger and smaller picture of that. I don't know if I'm making any sense right now, <laughs> but I think that what the foundation of my philosophy is that we as leaders need to be grounded in the truth. We need to be conscious of what we're, where we are, what we're trying to get to, the path together and the impacts that we have. Hmm. And I think that it's about recognizing that there are rules of the game. I'm going to use my game language. (laughs) There are rules of the game that are universal Hmm. and that we need to become conscious of these and, and leverage these and play with these and, be in alignment with these kind of universal rules because reality will hold us accountable. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, I think it does. I think it does. And, and you wrote a book called Your Hidden Game that gets into some of those rules. Tell us more about, I love the title, by the way. Tell us more what the title means and maybe a little bit about what this book is. And I have a sense that it's connected to this idea of being real and being grounded. And, and I also want to bring it back to why is that important today and why will that be important tomorrow? But give us a couple headlines about your book. So The Hidden Game is, is the unspoken assumptions, the unexamined agreements, the hmm. it's the things that come up between people in the workplace and honestly anywhere that people are together. So in families, in friend groups, in informal social associations or more formal ones. Mm -hmm. But there's always 
a set of habits and behaviors that we slip into with each other. And in business, those completely determine what we're able to accomplish. They put, they can either turbocharge us or they can put limits on what we can do. And let me get more specific because I know I'm speaking in abstractions. No, it's, um, let's get an example. I think you're right. Like this is, it's under the surface. We don't always see it. We don't test out these assumptions or beliefs or challenges. I'd love to hear some more specifics on what comes to mind for you. Right. So for example, one of the things I like to talk about the most is how we make decisions. Mm. So if you think about any organization you've ever worked in, whether you have been the leader or whether you've been a member of the team, there is usually a way that decisions get made. So I've worked in organizations where the leader made all the decisions without consulting anyone. Mm -hmm. And I've worked in organizations where the leader calls everyone together And no decisions are ever made because everybody's input is trying to be considered and incorporated. And it takes an incredibly long time to make a decision. And I've been in organizations and I've worked with organizations where they consult with a bunch of people but then ignore all of the input and go with whatever the CFO says. Mm -hmm. All of these are hidden games Hmm. because we lose consciousness that they're being played, that that this is what's happening. And yet we repeat the behaviors. We have a pattern and we repeat it over and over and over again. And the ironic thing is that game is only hidden to us. A lot of the time, somebody new comes into the organization, and it's really obvious what's going on there until they become part of the game. It becomes the water they swim in as well, and then the game becomes more invisible. Mm. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, it it completely does. And what are the implications here, Sharon, when people, they're not aware of the hidden game? And, and they're making these decisions either passively or dictatorially or in some dysfunctional way. What, what are the implications when it comes to people and process in the business? Yeah, well, I like to say either you play the game or the game plays you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the implications are if you look at any organization that has failed <laughs> yeah. or underperformed, guaranteed there's a hidden game at the root of that. Yeah. The uh, other hidden games that I talk about in my book are things like how we deal with problems, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I'm sure you've been in organizations where problems are denied or where everything's seen as a problem. Right. And those hidden behaviors, hidden thinking patterns, hidden patterns of action really determine the path of the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They determine what, how we see 
what's possible for the organization, how we respond to opportunities, how we respond to problems, how we grow, and what limits we put on ourselves. So to me, surfacing the hidden games in our organizations continually, because as soon as you surface one and solve it, a new one appears <laughs> or doesn't. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so this is a, it is not a one and done event surfacing hidden games. It is, it needs to become a habitual commitment in an organization to bring out on the table these unspoken patterns yeah. and look at them and, and figure out where what we're doing is aligned with what we're trying to create and where what we're doing is not and how we can bring it into alignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, at the beginning of your book, you quoted Einstein, and I love this quote. It's, it's something like, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And so in a way, what I'm hearing you say is, as, a, as individual leaders or collectively, we have to figure out how to raise this level of consciousness to deal with the complexity that, that faces our business today. And our, our business is getting more or less complex in the future. I think they're getting more. And yeah. so in a way, we've got to be able to raise our thinking, raise our consciousness in order to be effective there. Coming back Please. to where we started the conversation, where you were talking about the speed of change. Yeah. So we learn in business how to function in a certain set of circumstances. Right. But now the circumstances change. And now we need a new way of functioning. And now the circumstances change again. And so I think that one of the keys of successful leadership as we're moving beyond, right, yeah. is to be able to keep everybody conscious of where we are and how what we're doing is supporting that and then where we're going and how we need to change what we're doing to match where we're going. Mm. So I think that this is going to be the most important trait and skill set of leadership. And I think it already has been, honestly. I think that if we yeah. look at the companies that have succeeded, they're the ones that have been able to ride the wave. And you can't ride the wave by staying in one place and doing things the way the last wave was because every wave yeah. is different and the wave changes as it moves. Yeah. Yeah, there's always this tension be between playing it safe, which oftentimes as human beings, we just very naturally want to with our millions year old brains and 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 finding purpose and vision and and moving towards something more creative or powerful or or cutting edge and and so that tension can can get in our way and it's something i think that we all experience but how do we how do we deal with that what are the stories that we tell what gets in the way yeah what's ironic is that there's nothing less safe than playing it safe mm. Right? Like Same the, more, the more we try to, well, playing it safe is about protection. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of about um, keeping things the same as they have been. 
And the problem is that the world around us is changing. And so when we play it safe, we're missing cues Mm -hmm. and we are missing opportunities and we're, we're, we're not on the wave anymore. Right. And we need to ride the wave. And so it actually becomes playing it safe ensures that we aren't going to be moving. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean play it dangerous, right? right. I'm not saying the opposite of playing it safe isn't being insane, right? The opposite of playing it safe is being conscious and in the moment with an eye to context. So we also don't want to just be reactive. Yeah. We want to be intentional and conscious and in reality. Mm-hmm. There's that reality theme again. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to that. So in in your hidden game, you talk about mastering 10 agreements to win in, in the business growth game. And it seems to me that tied very closely to all of this idea, reality, um, raising level of consciousness is that first agreement. It seems so foundational. Tell, tell our listeners more about what the first agreement that you write about is about and how does it tie into maybe some of the complexity and the rapid change that we face in business today? So let me, before I answer that, I wanted to just talk about agreements in general for a second, because I think this is a little bit of a radical idea um, in the business world. I think that as, especially as leaders, I think that we as leaders tend to think that our job is to tell people what to do, is to decide what needs to get done and push that through. And I think that where we need, where our real power is as leaders is in the understanding that, Organizations are based on agreements and that the people that we rely on in our organizations, whether they're inside or our partners, vendors, whatever, right. that, that in order for us to move forward in the ways that will cause us to create value and be successful is to understand that every interaction is an agreement and that if the people that we're relying on don't agree, if we don't have clarity between us about what we're shooting for and how we're going to get there and what the scope is and a lot of other things, right, that Mm -hmm. then we're dead in the water, right? So I think that starting to see business as a set of agreements with other human beings is critical. Mm. So now coming to the first agreement, the first agreement in my book is how we talk about the business. Mm. It's the stories we tell about the business. And the reason it's the first agreement is it's, I see it as being very foundational. I see it as being like, if we don't know what our business stands for, if we don't, if we aren't managing our message, if we aren't clear in how we're talking about ourselves and each other and what we're here to do, then we can so easily undermine it all. And we see companies Mm. do this all the time. Mm -hmm. 
What do you notice most in business today that companies are doing that are undermining the message or the stories that need to be told? Well, I see one of the things I see companies doing is speaking about what they don't want, speaking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. putting a lot of their focus on their worries, their fears, the negatives in the economy, the negatives in their workforce, the they talk about and they tell stories of failure. Hmm. And what I've noticed is that wherever we put our attention and focus and energy is what we create. And I think we need to be really mindful, not in denial, and not Pollyannas, but we need to talk and tell stories that are positive. We need to talk and tell stories that are supportive and that create possibility for us to realize our vision. And I think more and more I see companies, and you know, I, I can use some examples from the general world, like the more we focus on the war on drugs, the worse our drug problems have gotten. The more we focus on in our in our country, um, the weight problems and obesity problems, the worse those problems have become. And we see the same pattern happening in organizations, mm-hmm. where the more we focus on problems in the workforce, the worse the problems become. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It it completely makes sense. And it reminds me of a client that we're doing some work with in the Midwest. And they're a manufacturing facility. And they really need to turn the ship around, so to speak. If if they don't improve the business in the next six to nine months, it's unlikely that they'll continue operating. And and much of their manufacturing will probably get moved overseas where it's more efficient. The challenge that the leader has is people are very fearful. And he's focused largely on the negative, how they're not meeting their goals, um, and and people are in crisis. What advice would you have for a leader like that? There's urgency, there's a short time period. He has to turn this manufacturing facility around immediately. How does he balance his messaging so that people understand the reality, Mm. but they also have something to look forward to in the future? Yeah, well, I think you, you're already articulating that or starting to, right? Yeah. I think the first thing is, um, rather than painting the bleak negative picture of where they are, is to paint a word picture of where they're going that's positive yeah. and inspiring mm-hmm. and exciting and doable, but, but a stretch. Yeah. Um, I think that... It's also about painting the picture of how they're going to get there and what are the new behaviors and the new thinking that they need to exhibit collectively together, right, as an organization, as a team in order to get there. And I think they need to celebrate every little win, and they need to be focusing on what's working. And that doesn't mean to ignore what's not working, but, 
but you don't put your focus on what's not working. I think you learn from what's not working and you put your focus on what would work better mm-hmm. and what's our path to that improved new vision. Yeah. That new existence. Yeah. I think that's really insightful, Sharon. And, and as I think about the workplace and the complexity that leaders are dealing with, we can't take it all on ourselves. Leaders, they have to figure out how to engage people and involve people to solve some of these challenges and, and to be able to uh, take advantage of and capitalize on the opportunities that are out there. In your second agreement, you talk about safety. And I know the concept of psychological safety is something that Google has explored. They've done a lot of research around, and it's really critical for involving and engaging people. If, if this gentleman that I'm referring to is going to turn this factory around, he has to figure out how to create a safe place for his people to, to win, to engage, sure. to be involved in. Tell us about this second agreement uh, that you write about in your hidden game. Yeah, if you think about it, when, what do we do when we don't feel safe? We shut yeah. down. We shut right? down, we withdraw. We shut down, we withdraw. So in an organization, if people don't feel safe to speak up, to do the right thing, to try something new, then that keeps us stuck where we are. Um, I've got a great story. It's in my book about an organization that was, it was an amazing organization and they had a 0% failure rate on their flagship product, which was almost unheard of. They were very, very skilled at what they did. And they had a very safe environment. Mm. And it was exciting. When you walked into that environment, there was a crackle in the air. And Mm. people really challenged each other. And meeting, sometimes people were up on their feet and there was some pounding on tables, but they, it was with respect and out of a mutual desire to create something that was excellent. Mm. And what was really interesting, we got to see a change of leadership in this organization. And with the change of leadership came an erosion of the safety. And in a very short time, a little more than a year, we saw silence in the halls. People started to be afraid to surface problems. And they stopped challenging each other. There started to be an inner circle that other people weren't welcome into. And their ideas and perspectives weren't sought out any longer. And within a little over a year, uh, that 0% failure rate went way up over 15%. Wow. So this is a crucial agreement. You really cannot have accountability in an organization where there isn't safety. Mm. Yeah, it is so critical. And and that safety, from what I'm hearing you say, is really the foundation for trust. And if we don't have that trust, it's very difficult to engage in the type of dialogue that you talked about, that on some teams, if if you come from a team 
that focuses on artificial harmony and you walk into a client like you just described where people are actually debating the issues, maybe showing some passion, that could come across as dysfunctional when in fact that artificial harmony is really what's dysfunctional. Right. And if we're going to solve the problems of the future, the, the challenges and the complexity that we're faced with, we have to be able to have this psychological safety. You mentioned accountability. I'm guessing that without that safety, it becomes difficult to hold each other accountable. And you also talk about changing how we look at accountability. Tell us more about your perspective on accountability. Yeah. So I think accountability is one of the most misunderstood ideas. Most mm. people see accountability as what happens once failure happens. So mm. accountability is who, hmm. who will either take the blame or get blamed, <laughs> who right. has to clean up the mess, who is going to get fired or otherwise penalized. Yeah. Or sometimes we think about accountability as are people keeping their commitments and agreements, right? Which is, mm -hmm. which is good. We need to, it's good to keep a commitments and agreements to a point. But all of this misses the boat on real accountability in organizations because ultimately what we need in organizations is to accomplish our desired outcomes. Mm. And none of the behaviors that we traditionally call accountability lead us to that. So accountability, I, I prefer the word ownership maybe. Yeah. Because if I own the outcome, if I am committed to helping my organization achieve whatever outcomes we've agreed we're going to achieve, then I might even want to renegotiate a commitment or agreement if I can see that it's not leading where I need it to go as opposed to being the organizations where you just check the boxes. Right. So, yeah, I said I'd do this. So I've done it, even though I got into it. I did it. I saw it didn't make any sense. It was leading us in the wrong direction. But I wasted a whole lot of additional time and effort and money and, um, you know, goodwill because I'm quote unquote accountable, quote unquote, keeping keeping my agreements and commitments. But I don't have true accountability in that case. Mm -hmm. I only have true accountability if I'm willing and if there's the safety for me to come back and say, wait a minute, this agreement, this isn't going to produce the results we want. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this distinction between accountability, which is in many ways old school. It's punitive. It's after the fact. I loved how you described that at the beginning and a new sense of ownership. Right. Yeah. Accountability after the fact does no good. It's too late. Right, we've got to be accountable. We've got to we've got to take ownership way at the beginning, way before failure happens. Right, and when we do, we we aren't going to avoid every failure, but we're going to, as they say, fail faster, mm -hmm. and we're going to be able to be more nimble and responsive, and and recover and get back on track toward our goals. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters. 
And when we think that accountability is people taking the blame, we're missing the boat. Yeah, we are. And it slows us down. It gets in our way from really being at our best. I think we talked earlier about people withdrawing, disengaging. I think when we approach accountability from that traditional mindset, we'll see, you know, in the words of Ken Blanchard, people not bringing their brains to work. And right. I love that quote. Yeah, it's a great quote. I want to just touch on one last subject before we start to wrap up. And one one of the the things that I I see with my clients is everything's a priority. And when everything becomes a priority, nothing's a priority at all. And I'd love to hear more about you, uh, from you about what are you noticing about the demands on a CEO's focus? as you're interacting with leadership teams and CEOs, what are you seeing here trending in in our workplace today? Well, I think that there are so many demands. Um, We are, as you've pointed out, living in a increasingly complex and fast moving world. And there definitely is that trend toward everything being a priority, which means nothing is a priority. I think that, a few things. One And one of the agreements in my book is where are we going to put our collective focus, mm-hmm. which also means where are we not going to put our collective focus. Yeah. And what we've discovered is that when we are clear about what we're focusing on, that we achieve gains in areas that we have decided not to make our primary focus. As opposed to when we try to focus on everything, we will see insufficient gains in everything. Right. So we are much more powerful across the board when we have the discipline to choose focal areas. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's crucial is for leaders to spread the leadership around and not hoard the leadership, not try to keep it all themselves. We, the whole purpose of an organization is leverage, right? If we didn't need leverage, we wouldn't need organizations. We could do it all ourselves, but we can't. And so one of the most important things is for leaders to build strong leadership teams and middle management teams that aren't only focused on their functional area or their area of expertise, but where together they have consciousness of the business needs and they work together rather than against each other to solve business problems and seek out and leverage opportunities and when you have a leadership team that can do this, then the focus of the CEO can be on higher level strategic function, um, relationship building at a high level that's crucial for the survival of the business, mm-hmm. um, and other things that are more appropriate than all the things that steal the CEO's focus when the functional leaders are acting territorial or in or are trapped in their silos and not functioning as a leadership team. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
It, it does. And at the leadership team level, I think your first agreement, especially around self-awareness and stories and understanding the assumptions and, and really building up our emotional intelligence becomes very critical at the senior leadership team level where you've got teams of leaders who oftentimes have competing priorities. Right. It becomes more and more important that they can stay in relationship with each other, stay composed as they're working through figuring out where to allocate those resources, how to um, move forward together, even though there are limited resources and they, they do have those competing priorities. So yeah, that, that leadership team component is so critical. Right. And, and when they can together tell a story that, that includes the interconnections between them, yeah. and takes into account how each of their functional areas contributes to a bigger picture, mm. then that can be a game changer. Awesome. Sharon, thank you so much. It's, it's so nice to, uh, to work with you today. And for all our listeners out there, if you haven't gotten a chance, you have to pick up a copy of Your Hidden Game by Sharon Rich. And we only touched on some of the, the principles and some of the the agreements that are laid out inside of the book. I, I think it's a really practical and meaningful resource that's going to help you. Sharon, thank you. It's been thank a pleasure to have you today in the episode. And uh, I think it was, it was really insightful. Thanks for all that you're doing for leaders and, and in this world. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Future of Leadership. If you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into action-oriented, confident leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.